Franker Church. Uh, we will be in 1 John today in chapter 2. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have some on the table over there. Feel free to grab one. Uh, and we will be digging in in verse 26. Uh, let me pray for us and we'll get going. Uh, King Jesus, we thank You for this day that, that by Your grace and by Your mercy we're here. By Your grace and by Your mercy there's breath in our lungs, there's clothes on our back, there's a roof over our head. And Jesus, You have provided for us, uh, for those of us who know You, You have provided us life and life eternal. Jesus, we come together now to know You. And so the things that are of me, Lord, I pray would be forgotten, but the things that are of You, uh, You would make clear, You would make stand out, uh, that you would, you would move in our hearts in such a way uh, that Jesus, that, that this time together wouldn't be about the downloading of information, but the worship and the glorying and the adoration of Your holy name. Jesus, Lord, help us to know the truth find the truth, to live the truth, Jesus, because you are the truth and the way and the life. And so Jesus, help me now as I preach. Uh, help us now as we come together in your name and help us, Jesus, to know you and love you and enjoy you more and to just appreciate the forgiveness and life you've given us. And Jesus, we love you and pray these things for your glory and for our joy and in your name, Jesus Christ, amen. Uh, so again, we're starting in 1 John chapter 2 and 26. Um, today we're going to talk about the truth. Now, this is an interesting topic, I think, in, in 2015 and where we stand. Uh, I, uh, two of my children now are readers, which means I need to read bumper stickers wherever I go. I need to be aware of things they're reading and taking in all the time uh, in a new way that is different than when your children don't read. Uh, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, you will at some point in time if you have kids and live in Seattle. Um, so I become hyper aware of bumper stickers, which turns out there are many, many, many interesting, let's put it that way, bumper stickers that one can see. But one such bumper sticker I saw as we were driving just the other day said, um, religious, or pardon me, spiritual people inspire me. Religious people frighten me. Uh, and and I, I think that, that, that in a sense sums up um, the air of our age. We, we live in a time and a place where we love to say, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. And, and we've been known from time to time to compare and contrast false religion and the truth of the gospel. And that false religion is we do things to get to God, but the good news of the gospel uh, is that God who is holy, who we have sinned against, has come in the person of Jesus to save us from ourselves, to give us life, to die on the cross, to pay the price for our sins, to make us right before a holy God, to save us, to life in Him forever, and that is the good news, and He does it, and He comes down and He does it, and it's all of grace to us, so don't get me wrong, we make a distinction there between sort of false religion where I'm doing things so God will love me, and the truth of the gospel is that Jesus Christ, in His grace and mercy, loved me before I ever loved Him, and it was all His movement towards me. He saved me, not me thinking, this sounds like a nice idea. At the same time, I think when we say, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual, it actually, uh, it actually encapsulates a different idea than that. It, it's not about the gospel versus false religion or religion. Uh, it's saying, I don't like things to be organized. And, and, and if, if someone were to say, I know the truth, we become suspect. We, we don't like it. But if someone says, oh, you know, I'm a seeker, I'm a doubter, and, and, and let me be clear here. If you're exploring the truth, I'm so happy you're here today. If you've come here to kick the tires on Christianity and the gospel, I'm happy you're here today. But, but here's the deal. 
if someone says, oh, I'm just seeking or just figuring it out or, you know, it's all kind of up in the air, we, we buy that person a cup of coffee and sit down and hang out and, and love it as a society. But when someone says, I, I know what the truth is, we become suspect and, and we don't like it. Uh, but here's the deal. I'm looking for the truth. I'm looking for the truth. And John thinks we, we need the truth. And as Christians, we actually offer an alternative truth claim and that there is a truth to be known and His name is Jesus Christ. And that God in His grace and mercy uh, hasn't left us to sort of wander, but has in fact revealed Himself to us. Now, there's a tension there. There's the depth and the riches and the things that we will call ineffable and never get to the bottom of. And God in His glory and His wonder and His beauty and His amazingness is, is beyond comprehension at some point in time. And yet that God who is so huge and so transcendent has chosen by His grace and mercy to reveal Himself to us. Not because we were smart, but because He was gracious. And He chose to pay the price for our sins, not because we were good, but because He was good. And so in that world of sort of suspect of the truth, I think we actually offer an alternative truth claim. There is a truth to be known. His name is Jesus. And I think this is so important because when we live in a time and a place, you know, it's, is it postmodern? Is it post-postmodern, wherever we are, there's sort of this sense where we have with these ideas of spiritual ideas or big ideas or things that you can't necessarily prove empirically or through science that we say, well, no one really knows. And we just leave it ambiguous and we just kind of hang out and have a cocktail party and hang out and talk about how no one really knows anything about anything. And at some point in time, that... It's a little vapid. Vapid? Vapid? Wrong word. It's nothing. We're just talking at that point in time. Uh, now, here's, I think, my concern as we dig into the text. And I'm not saying this is true. I think this is how we've been perceived. This is how the church has been perceived. That we are after the truth because we're about right fighting. We're about proving our point and being righter than other people. The, the truth of the gospel is right. It is the truth. The truth of Jesus is the truth. I will say that gladly. I will hold to that firmly. But the reason we love the truth, the reason we want people to know Jesus, the reason we, we advocate and protect and guard the truth of Jesus is not so that we can be more right, but because we know it is the truth, and this is the truth that sets us free. This is the truth that gives us life. This is the truth that gives us joy. This is the truth that gives you, if you do not know Him, an actual real relationship with the God of the universe through Jesus Christ. So all of a sudden, the reason we fight for that truth, the reason we want to proclaim that truth, is not just so that we can be right, but because God is awesome and we want God to be known. Let's go ahead and dig in. Verse 26, chapter 2. I'm working on it. I do the verse backwards every time. It's 1 John chapter 2, verse 26. He says this. Oh, pardon me. Three things we're going to look at today. Three things I think John is going to show us today. Uh, number one why we need the truth. So why do we need the truth? Uh, number two, how do we know the truth? And number three, what do we do with the truth? Okay, so number one, uh, why do we need the truth? Uh, verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Because there is truth and there is error. I mean, why do we need the truth? Because there is truth and there is error. Uh, the truth of Jesus Christ uh, isn't just something we add on to our Facebook status. The truth of Jesus Christ and a biblical worldview and the narrative identity that comes with it is an actual total paradigm shift. When you know who God is, who you are, and what Jesus has done on your behalf, it changes absolutely everything about the way you view, see, and live in reality. And as Christians, we're so bold to say, and this is the truth of reality. 
This is the paradigm in which to understand the world. Through the person, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through his cross, through his, the resurrection of the dead, through, through his return, through these things, these realities of Jesus. This is the actual way to understand reality. Right? Now, John here has something in mind, and we talked about this a little bit last week, but we'll talk about it again because it's worth saying. So John has in mind, these things I write to you, the, what we'll call the apostolic reality. Again, John is living in 90 A.D. An eyewitness to the person of Jesus lives an extraordinarily long time. Uh, and in fact, we have, the, by God's grace, not only did he live a long time, one of his number one disciples, Polycarp, lived a long time. Uh, Polycarp's disciples wrote a ton. Polycarp wrote some. His martyrdom is very noted. The historical reality of John, often called John the Beloved, who wrote John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John in the book of Revelation, uh, is, is a factual reality. And I'm going to continue to contest the things that he writes. When we look at that fact, that we know who he is, uh, it's, we have on solid evidence that he wrote it. In fact, the things that he writes, the things that he writes, one of the things he writes is the oldest piece of the Bible we actually have a copy of. It's significant. And so the thing that he's going to proclaim is this apostolic truth. And so I think what we need to know is that it's not whether or not he said these things or believed these things is whether or not they're true. He's going to say they're true. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. So these things that he has been writing is the apostolic truth, which we identified here uh, last week as Jesus, the gospel, and the scriptures. Who Jesus is, the real Jesus, the Jesus Jesus, God made flesh, uh, God himself who entered into human history, who set aside his divine rights uh, from the plan that he made with the Father before the foundations of the earth to save people who wronged the Lord of the universe, who lived in opposition to God, Jesus Christ himself crossed the gap that you and I made in our wrongdoing, in our right things for the wrong reasons, everything we've ever done so that someone would throw us a parade, every kind thing we've ever done so someone would like us, uh, every wrong thing, wiling out, nasty thing we've done to God or others, everything we've chosen, every right thing we've chosen not to do, every shred of idolatry we've ever lived, where we've taken the place that God belongs in the center of the universe and we've put something other than him, job, success, whatever, money, uh, uh, whatever goes in that spot and made that God. All of those things are in opposition to God, and God looks at that opposition, and Jesus Christ dies on the cross to drink the cup of wrath you and I deserve for those things so that we can live. Jesus died so that we can live, and this is the truth of the apostolic witness, and this is the very thing John is trying to protect. And John is saying, outside of this, this is something else. And we looked at that last week. Outside of this, it's not pro-Christ. It's, he's going to use a very, very strong word, antichrist. Right? There's no neutral zone for John. You're either for Jesus, and if you're not for Jesus, you're against Jesus, period. There's no, there's no neutral zone here. Now, why is this important? Right? This is the truth, the apostolic truth, the gospel of Jesus, that he saves us from ourselves to life in him. He forgives us for our sins. He makes us right with God. He gives us life. And all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Right? Now, John's writing in a context where there's people who are saying something other than this. And he's writing to a church where people are saying something other than this. And we live in a time and a place, friends, where there are people who would even claim to be Christians who are saying something other than this. 
There are doctrines and ideas that are so plain and clear in the Scriptures that people are saying, oh yeah, but if I have to say that from a pulpit, no one's going to like me. If I have to say, if my neighbor asks me that hard question and I tell him that, sin, you want me to tell him I'm a sinner? That he's a, well, I can tell him I'm a sinner, but then I shouldn't probably tell him he's a sinner or he's done anything wrong to God or anyone else. The reality is, is if you've been alive on planet Earth for any amount of time, you, you know you've done something wrong to somebody else. And it's not about you comparing yourself to somebody else. It's about us looking at that in the light of God's holiness. God in his holiness is perfect, right, all light, no dark. This is the thing John keeps beating this drum, all light, no dark. And that God who is all light, no dark, looks at our dark and comes, and as the light comes, to deal with it, to make us right with God. This is Christianity. This is different than any other system. The reality is that God sees us unable to come to God, and God comes and rescues us and pays the price for our sin. Every other system says you have to try harder, you have to be better, you have to be nicer, you have to be kinder. I know I say this maybe often, but it does bear repeating because we do live in Seattle. I don't know if you know that. This is Seattle. We love karma. And karma is this idea that I do good things and good things will happen to me. I do bad things and bad things will happen to me. There are lots of problems with that. Number one, there are lots of good people who die young in horrible situations. What did they do wrong to anybody is the question that must be begged there. But really the thing is, all of a sudden I also understand that my good life is contingent on me being good. And so all of a sudden, my kindness, my love, my charity isn't about my kindness or my love or my charity to others. It's about my kindness and my love and my charity to myself. It is the most selfish, self-centered, self-serving worldview a person can hold. And it's antithetical to the gospel. The gospel is that I'm wrong and Jesus is right and Jesus saves me. That Jesus has shown me the grace and mercy and now I get to my, live my whole life in response to him. And why is this so important? Why is John so upset about it? He is an old cranky man and he's talking about it a lot. I've written to these, these things to you so that no one will deceive you. Well, what are they trying to deceive him with? Probably two things. On one side, we have Judaizers. And on one side, we have Platonists. Plato. Not the stuff that you make and squeeze out of the thing. Though that is fun. It turns out it's very like relaxing as a grown-up when you're sitting with your kids, squeezing the Plato out of the thing. You're like, this is, this is good. This is very kind. Not that Plato. Plato. Plato, the Greek philosopher, and really what we're talking about are Gnostics or hyper-spirituals. Now, this is worth saying because he's trying to have this apostolic truth because we have a creedal faith. That our faith isn't just about the things that you do, but that is what is in the minds of the Judaizers. The Judaizers are people who come out of the Jewish tradition. Uh, now, mind you, there's a lot of different kinds of people and a lot of different kinds of traditions at this point in time, but there are a lot of people who have sort of this pharisaical bent that says, yes, yes, Jesus died for my sins, but I must do these nice things so that God will love me. I must follow these rules so that God will love me. I must do these things so that God will be gracious and kind to me. And if I do these things, he will be gracious and kind to me. What's the problem? This is Jesus plus. Yes, yes, the Lord of the universe died on a cross, bled out and died, cleansed me from all my sin and made me right with him. But I must follow these rules 
which Jesus, of course, actually abolished. And so he has beef there. He wants them to know, no, 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 no. It's all Jesus. In fact, it's only Jesus. And if it's anything but Jesus, it's Jesus plus something else. Again, this is antithetical to the gospel. Nothing can forgive you for your sins and make you right with God but Jesus. And the amazing, liberating, freeing reality of this is now I get to live this whole life running after Jesus, not so that Jesus will love me, but because He has loved me. John wants to protect this truth diligently and desperately for their joy and for God's glory and for the truth of who Jesus is. Because this is the truth of who Jesus is. On the other side, we have the Gnostics. So they don't really like that Jesus was a person. They like the idea, and if we're being very technically correct, they're probably proto-Gnostics, and the Gnostic movement doesn't really come full force until the next century, but they have these ideas. So they have a variety, a kind of a grab bag of hyper-spiritual ideas that maybe Jesus came and was kind of like a, a spirit, but wasn't really in the flesh, or maybe he didn't really die on the cross. And, and again, John's going to be cranky about this because at that point in time, it's not, no longer about Jesus cleansing, redeeming work in our lives. It's actually about us. They, they tend to have this vibe of like, body is bad, spirit is good, uh, creation is bad, heaven is good, uh, so much so that, that by the time Gnosticism comes on full-blown, they're going to say the God of the Bible or the God of the Jews uh, couldn't possibly be the real God because he made the physical world, and therefore he must be evil because this is where all the evil stuff is, and the reality of the, the Bible is that God's into both, right? That's why he's going to redeem this creation, body and spirit. Okay, let me keep going. But then he says this. So why do we need the truth? Because it's the truth. Uh, we don't want to spend the rest of our lives walking around in some made-up fog, or really some fog we made up for ourselves, because that's really what these other guys are doing, right? Verse 27. But the anointing that you have received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you. I love the ESV. It's my favorite Bible. If you have a Bible you got from us, it's an ESV. One of my big beefs with the ESV. Um, there are other good Bibles. I like the Holman. I like the, uh, the NASB, if you don't want to be able to understand what it's saying most of the time and have lots of italics. Um, one of the things, and this is most proper English, but they don't capitalize the personal or the male pro masculine pronoun he. It's lowercase. This he is God here. Uh, usually in other Bibles they have that uppercase, so you know, like the Holman, right? So, so I mean, I want, you to, I want you to hear this, right? This, this is one of those spots we got to slow down and read what the text says. This is what it says about Christianity. This is the truth of Christianity. But the anointing that you have received from Him. Uh, he talks about this anointing a few verses up, and we looked at it last week. It comes from the Holy One, capital H, capital O, Holy One. And I think sometimes John, I think it's probably the Holy Spirit, but I also think sometimes John is being ambiguous with members of the Trinity because if we're not careful, we can do one of two things. We either talk about God so much as one that we miss the fact that God is three, or we talk about him so much as three that it almost sounds like three distinct, total three distinct entities where we know that God is one and God is three, and this is the truth of the Trinity, that God is one and God is three. Uh, but so here he is, this is from God. 
This, this is what we understand, this anointing, this life we have in Jesus. Christianity is not a spiritual IQ test. Christianity is not you making the best option, taking the best option. The reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God reveals himself to us and we receive Jesus. Oh, if it was about us being smart, or if it was about us even just being able to give people enough information, we live in 2015, it's the information time. If we could just give people enough information, they wouldn't smoke anymore. What's the problem with that? You give them all the information, they still smoke. So then our answer is we tax everyone so much that they can't smoke anymore because they can't afford it. Uh, but that is a different topic for a different day. Um, that's at least Seattle. Seattle's, our option is usually punishment. You, ride your, uh, you don't want to ride the bus? Take away the parking spots. Take the parking spots away. You're grounded from driving. You must ride the bus. But I digress. I do digress, don't I? Uh, but the, the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. You know who God is because God is a God who reveals himself. God is a God who has condescended to our life on planet Earth, lived on this Earth for over 30 years, took on flesh, became a human being. Uh, everything God wanted to reveal to the world, He did so in His Son. And not only that, His Son is so gracious in that condescension, He takes on real, and this is why He's against the Gnostics, He's a real human, right? My kids asked a great question the other day. Did Jesus get sick? And what's our answer to did Jesus get sick? This is where I put an asterisk and say, well, son, the Bible doesn't tell us if Jesus got sick, but I can assume because he has a real human body, he actually gets sick. He, he was tempted in every way. And maybe more importantly, he was tempted in every way but knew no sin. What Hebrews is communicating to us in that is that you have nothing you cannot bring to Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ can't say to you, I know. You can't outsend the depth and the riches of his cross because of his infinite value. He comes as a human being and dies in our place, but you also don't have anything that you can't bring to him, that he can't relate to. I would also add, you don't have anything you can bring to him he doesn't already know because he's also omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient. So we don't need to hide from God. We go to God. We go to God with our hurt. We go to God with our sin. We go to God with our temptation. And he can say, I know. But it's God who has revealed himself to us. Let what you heard... Oh, I'm so sorry. 27. But the anointing you have received from him abides in you, remains in you, lives in you. The truth of the gospel is a living truth in your life if you are a Christian. The truth of forgiveness of sins is a living truth. The fact that you have life in Jesus Christ is a living truth. The fact that the Holy Spirit abides in you is a living truth. Our life with Jesus is not checking off, though it is creedal, in the sense that there are truths to be believed about who Jesus is, and if you disregard those truths, you don't actually believe in the Jesus Jesus of the Bible. But it is not a dusty old document that we dust off from time to time and say, what does it mean to be a Christian again? His word is living and active. Jesus' truth abides and remains in us. So how do we know the truth? God reveals the truth to us. That's significant. 
It's not an investigation. You didn't find some scroll in the desert. God has revealed the truth to you if you are a Christian. And if you are here today and you don't know who Jesus is, this is the truth of who He is. He's sovereignly brought you here today so that you would hear it, you would know it, and you would receive it. Yeah. But as His anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie. The truth of who Jesus is, the truth, and there is no lie. Again, John's saying there's the truth of Jesus and there's everything else. Um, Just as it has taught you. What has taught you that anointing? Now here's an important question. And maybe this isn't a question you ask, but maybe as a preacher I ask the question. So why do we need someone to preach then? Why, Why do we do what we do? If I know everything from the Bible, why don't I just stay home and do a Bible study on my own? The office of preacher, the office of elder, uh, is an important one. We believe in the truth and proclaiming and preaching the truth. And in fact, if you look at the Bible, the Bible's full of preaching. Jesus wasn't just a preacher. Moses was a preacher. The prophets are preachers. Uh, All his disciples are preachers. Paul's a preacher. Peter's a preacher. There's preaching, 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 where we open up this truth and I say, Jesus saves sinners from death to life. God is holy. But the reality is, if the thing that I say from God's Word leaves my mouth, my mouth, and hits your heart, it's not because I am eloquent, special, or specially gifted. It's because of the God of the universe in His grace and mercy takes the eternal truth that He is so merciful allow me to even speak as just a normal, old, sinful human being allows me to say the truth of who Jesus is. It hits your heart in reality. That is the work of God, not of men. That is the work of His grace and mercy. And this is one of the chosen ways He's chosen to operate in His church is the opening of God's Word and the proclaiming of it. But if He has taught me anything and if you're receiving anything from it, it's not because I'm eloquent. It's not because I have education. It's not because I have training. Uh, It's because God is at work in our midst and this is one of His chosen instruments to teach His people by His grace and mercy. Which means what? Just a guy. A guy who has this job at this moment and this time on this place, 2015 on June 6th, my weight and my job, and it's weight. It's weight on Saturday night to say, okay, I'm going to open up God's word and say this is what God says. Being careful and clear and winsome and graceful. But at the end of the day, I could stand up here and I could just go. Nothing's going to happen in you and in your life if the Holy Spirit doesn't do it. This is God's chosen instrument. This is His means of grace, but it's God's movement. And the reality is you need to know you, Christian, have full access to God. That when you open your Bible... Nothing less magical happens to you when I, than when I open mine. Because it's not magic. It's God and his presence moving in your life and in your heart to reveal to you his word and his truth. So why would he say then you have no one, to, you need no one to teach you, right? Because there's 
I could just skip over that and we could just have lunch and that'd be fine. But he says, yeah, if no one to teach or, or um, the scripture reading for today, uh, the quote, it's from, Jer- it's from Hebrews, where Hebrews quotes Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. It says, you don't need anyone to teach you because everyone's going to know. Well, one, I think that's looking forward to now and also into the future when people just know God, who are with God forever. Um, excuse me. I think, I think A, he's got in mind the apostolic teaching. He's got the basics of what it means to be a Christian in mind. Um, he's got this creedal truth that Jesus is who he says he is, this is who God is, this is who you are. The basics that you need to be put in the water, to be baptized into the faith, to be a Christian. Uh, as Christians, that's not secret. There's not like levels, right? Oh, I mean, there's depth, man. You want to get into the depth of theological study. You want to get into uh, uh, ecclesiology and what the church is and what, who God is and who Jesus is and what the Spirit does and what this means about that and, and different studies about different words and the, and the Old Testament and the New Testament and biblical studies and biblical archaeology. You can go and go and go and go. But we need to know the point of going and going and going and going is not so that we would have more information but that we would love Jesus more and help other people love Jesus more. You don't need me. You need no one to teach you. You don't need me. This is not a codependent relationship. You don't need me. This is a gift. It's God's mercy to us. I love hearing preaching, but what we need more than anything is Jesus. And everything else is a wonderful gift. We've been, we've been given the church, we've been given community, we've been given the word, we've been given life, we've been given all these things, and it's God's moving in and through those things for us. How do we know the truth? Again, how do we know the truth? 27, I'm going to read it again. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as he has taught you, How do we know the truth? Jesus. Jesus is how we know the truth. He's given us his word. He's revealed the truth to us. Now what do we do with it? Comma, abide in him. Verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him. That's John's concern, right? You read John's gospel. He's all over there. right? Abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. How? What do we do with the truth? We remain in the truth. We live in the truth. And not only just live in the truth, we live with Jesus. We remain with Jesus. Our life is about Jesus. Our life, again, is not about checking off some beliefs, but our life is living in the power of Jesus Christ, the grace of mercy of Jesus Christ, and living in this new and and wonderful relationship as a Christian that you have with Jesus. Romans 8 is really clear. You are indwelt by Jesus. The Holy Spirit, the presence of God, if you are a Christian. The magnitude and the depth of that never ceases to blow my mind. What do we do the truth? What with the truth? We live with God with the truth. God has revealed Himself to us so that we would have life as blood-bought sinner saints, forgiven for our sins, with Jesus forever. Abide in Him. Remain in Him. 
live with him, know the truth of him, so that when he appears, we have, may have confidence. John is sure of this. Jesus is returning. He's going to come in his holiness and in his power and settle up, settle the score. The only innocent man who ever died will come and clear his name in a tremendous and significant way. So that when he appears, we may have confidence to not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Why do we have no shame before the God of the universe in his appearing? He's holy. And everyone worldwide is going to comprehend the holiness, rightness, sacredness, specialness, wonderfulness, lightness of the God of the universe. And in that moment, the comparison will be clear for everyone. This is who God is, and this is who I am, and there is a difference between these two things. So why can you and I stand before God in this moment and not shrink as God in His holiness, the person of Jesus Christ, comes down out of the clouds, this worldwide event that will be witnessed, the same reason if you and I are to die today, that when we stand before the brilliance of God, that we can stand with confidence. Because the same experience is true in that moment. You'll see who God is and who you are. And we won't say, but Jesus, you know, on, uh, I stayed up late to try and make sure that I, that I had all the participles correctly in my sermon. Uh, and I, you know, I tried to make the outline good and, and I tried really hard. Uh, and I, you know, so I did a good job on the sermon on Sunday. I, I, I think I did a good job, Jesus. What do you think? I, can you let me into heaven? Because can you let me into your presence? Can you let me be with you forever? Because I tried really, really, really hard for you. It's not the answer. The answer is, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I don't need to be afraid of Jesus because Jesus has done everything to make me right with Him. He has forgiven me for my sins. He has given me life. And I now live my life in a worshipful response to who He is. So my answer when Jesus comes as to why I can be in His presence and your answer if you are a Christian, J-E-S-U-S, Jesus, He is the King of me. There's a reason little kids sing these songs, because they're important. Why can I stand in his presence? Not because of anything that I've done, because everything that he has done. Because I stand in the shadow of the cross and say, I'm forgiven, I'm loved, I, you loved me before I loved you, you are awesome, God, great and merciful, and you are my God, and I am your son, because of you, because of everything you've done, because you've made me right in the wake of your holiness. And if you're a Christian, that's true of you. You cannot earn God's love. And I cannot say that enough. We don't get a report card. We get Jesus. Report, report card. F, 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 F. Stamp. Jesus. And it's not just that he's forgiven you for all the stuff you did before you met him, and now you need to try really, 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 really hard to keep him happy, but that he, in his sovereignty and in his grace, drank the cup of wrath for all of your sins to make you completely right with God, to absorb that by His grace and mercy so that you stand confident before God in all things. This empowers us to repent. Of course I can say sorry because I'm already forgiven. Of course I can turn to Jesus for my sin because He's already paid the price. He's already liberated me. He's already made me free. So why then? Why can I stand? Confidence and not shrink from him and shame at his coming. 
Because He is my God and I am His Son. Because He is our God and we are His people. And because of His cross, because of His death, and because of His resurrection. Verse 29. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. John didn't write in English, it turns out. Because that's not really how you would say that. Uh, they did a very good job of capturing what he's saying. But if you know that he is righteous, who knows that Jesus is righteous? Who stands and says, Jesus is holy, right, perfect, and pure? Jesus is righteous God who, who became a man, who died uh, an, innocent, an innocent man who died the death that other people deserve, but not him. He is righteous because he's not a liar. He said he would raise from the dead, and he did. He's righteous because he said he would go back to his father, and he did. He's righteous because he will return. Well, that sounds an awful lot like a Christian somewhere in there, believing who Jesus is and what he has done. Okay? If you know that he is righteous, Christian, you may be sure that everyone who practiced righteousness has been born of him. What? You may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. I, I want some words back. I want some things back. I want some Christian things back. One of those things is the word born again. We've had to pretty much ditch that one because it doesn't mean a lot because of some surveys the Pew Group started taking in the 70s. Born again. I live in Alabama. Check. Well, many, many brothers and sisters live in the great state of Alabama. But just because you live in the great state of Alabama does not make you a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I have no issue with the state of Alabama, just for the record, or any other state for that matter, if any of my other comments seem as such. No problem with Alabama. Um, but because I was born in America does not make me a Christian. My passport's not what makes me a Christian. The blood of Jesus Christ is what makes me a Christian. His redemptive work in my life makes me a Christian. So what is he saying here? If you know who Jesus is, you can identify his people. What? Really? Yeah, there are people who confess with their lips and believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord. There's no anonymous Christian. There's no, well, he's a really, really nice person some of the time. It's Jesus in our life. Now, um, what do we do with this truth? We live, we abide, we remain. We live in this life that's born of him. I think it comes down to three things. This born of him reality, born again reality. Um, there's appropriation, there's implication, there's application. The appropriation is that we believe. We believe the truth of Jesus and who he is. We own it for ourselves. Uh, Paul's going to say that in... Um, lost my reference. Paul is going to say that in one of his letters. He's going to say, my gospel. And John Stott was really clear to point out that maybe even pastors more than anybody need to appropriate the reality of the gospel. It's not about our religious performance, but about who Jesus is and what he has done. It's the gospel, but it's your gospel, and it's my gospel, and we appropriate that gospel. Right. There's the implication. We live as born-again people in a born-again reality. We're changed. And sometimes, man, I've walked with people uh, uh, in, in even our own community where that change is so minor and so incremental and so uh, touch and go. And you're sitting with a guy again and again and again, and yet God is at work. 
God is at work. They're turning from their sin and they're turning to Jesus. And, and yeah, maybe there is a, a lot of tears. And maybe there is a lot of walking. And, and maybe it is very, very, very incremental. And sometimes in our own faith, in our own sanctification, man, the change can feel incremental. I'm dealing with this again, again, again. And it takes years and years and years to say, well, yeah, the change was incremental in the last five, ten years. But there was change because God is good and he is gracious. So there's the implication. There's our new state and there's living it out. But then there's the application. It's the gospel beginning to work its way out, squish its way out into all the different parts of our life. This is our life lived in response to who Jesus is and what he has done. It's our life as a living sacrifice. This is all about worship. This is who God is in Jesus and me living my life in the wake of that reality and that reality being changed. What do I mean by that? What well, means I don't forgive people because I'm a nice person. I don't forgive people because I'm a Christian. They're supposed to forgive. I forgive people because I know that I've been so forgiven in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't bless people so I can get some karma points. I bless people because I've been overly and abundantly blessed in Jesus Christ. Uh, and I could go on and on and on and on. But everything, everything, everything comes back down to that response. I worship Jesus and respond to him because he's beautiful, glorious, and wonderful. Uh, I tell the truth because Jesus is the truth and in him is no lie. So I live my life as an honest person because Jesus is the truth. I've received the truth from him and I live it out. And we go on and on and on. And it's that, that born-again life being walked out as we remain in him, as we abide in him. So what do we do when we believe we're born again? Radical transformation. That's why, um, not Josephus, um, John chapter 3, I lost the Pharisee's name. Where'd it go? Oh, well. You know, he asked Jesus the dumb question when Jesus says, you need to be born again. He says, can I be born again? My mom is old, and I'm a grown man. Jesus says, you don't get it. Right? But it's radical. It's It's radical. And we, we remain, we abide, we live with Jesus. And when we don't believe the truth of the gospel, we don't believe his beauty, we don't believe his grace, we don't believe uh, his mercy, we appropriate another set of beliefs. We find something else to believe. We find something else to hang our hat on. Um, and that has implications. If you believe the truth of life is uh, to live your life to make as much money as you possibly can and your life at work should be about dog eat dog, uh, king of the mountain, survival of the fittest, that will have implications in not just your work but probably your life. You're going to live out that narrative and you're going to be responding to something else, in this case creed. You could, put, you could plug in a bunch of other stuff into those zones, so to speak. But when we look to Jesus, we see this beautiful truth, right? In him, we see that God shows us the truth, and that truth cleanses us, and we're born again, and we remain in him, and our sins are forgiven, and we have life in Christ. And so for me, then, because of that, I stand confident before the God of the universe. And for us, as the people of God, all of a sudden, then, it becomes our job to help other Christians understand what they've appropriated, what the implications of that are for their life, and we help each other as we respond more and more to that truth and live in the wake and the reality of Jesus. And then for us, for our city, for people who don't know him, well, A, we, rebut, we remain and abide confident in Christ, but then we share this truth with other people. There's nothing better than this truth. We have the truth. We know the truth. We have a truth that we need to approach with humility. It's not about right fighting. It's about life. 
I don't need to win debates, but I want people to live. I want people to live. Um, as we transition to communion, um, logistically what we're looking at is we have bread. Uh, we have gluten-free bread on the small plate, regular bread, um, wine, juice, and a basket for the offering. We, we come to celebrate these truths. We come to celebrate that God is among us, that we remain in Him, and the truths of His truth are free. You have been set free, and the truth will set you free. And if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. His truth has set us free. His blood has forgiven us for our sins. He has made us right with God from all the wrong things we've done. And so when we do this, we do this as a celebration yeah, we consider our sin. If there's something you've got to repent of, you've got to say sorry to Jesus, you deal with that. But when we come and we take this, we celebrate because you are set free. You are forgiven. You are blood-bought and you are loved. And we stand up and we sing these truths. Not as dusty documents, but as living, real, and abiding truths. And so in a minute, when you're ready, get up and we're going to celebrate Jesus and who he is and what he has done. Uh, let me pray for us. Uh, King Jesus, we do thank you. Your truth is the truth. We don't know that truth because we're smarter. We don't know that truth because we're better. We know that truth because you're the truth and you're better and you're greater and you're grander and you're more gracious. Help us, Lord Jesus, to abide and to remain and just to be awake to the reality that we live with you because of you and we have life in you because of you. We have life in abundance. We live as people who were your enemies who've been forgiven and made right. Help us just to remain and live and joy, praise, and make much of your name. Jesus, we love you and pray these things for your glory and for our joy. Jesus Christ, amen.